Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here with your dog's health in mind. Yeah, we're going to talk to the expert on the subject of this weird respiratory problem that's floating around in the dog world. We'll have all the answers for you, as well as the things you can do to ensure that your dog stays safe until we figure out what the heck is going on. But that's not all we'll talk about today. We're going to talk shooting. One of the very important topics that you tell me every year in the big Upland Nation survey is important to you. First, I'll ask how it's going, and then I'll ask for advice from you and your friends. So stand by to, well, become a better shooter. After we complain about how bad our shooting is, that is. So it's all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast, made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport, LandTrust.com, and Hi-Viz Shooting Systems. Well, the world is a cruel, cruel place, and uh, so I, I, got, I got yet another reminder of that running flick yesterday. He's over the hill on the other side, and I hear a yelp, and it sounded like one of those barbed wire yelps. Now, I knew there wasn't any out there, but I still hustled over to the direction where I heard it, because it wasn't one, it was two or three. It was a long, long series of these, and I'm thinking, okay, the other thing it could be coyotes. Well, by the time I got near his vicinity, he was coming to me. And Knockwood quickly found out it was, well, whatever he ran into, it took a quarter-sized piece out of the inside of his right rear thigh. It wasn't bleeding too badly. It wasn't that deep, but I bet it scared the heck out of him, and that's what that was all about. Anyway, we hightailed it back to um, back to the yard, and I drug out the big bag of stuff that I have just for these kind of occasions. You know, while I'm hunting, I have a little version of this, but when I'm uh, when I'm at home, I have a gigantic bag. It stays in the truck, so if I ever need to doctor a dog or a fellow hunter, hunter for that matter, I've got everything there. And I'll tell you, you know, some places you just can't get figured out, and this is it. I put three different bandages on that poor guy's thigh, and he was such a trooper about it. Every one of those things just kind of sagged and fell off. The, the, body, the body right there, look at your dog's thigh, way up there, you know, way up in there. How do you, it, it's like a, an ice cream cone. So any bandage you put on there, vet wrap, even adhesive tape, uh, it just slides down. It seeks its own level, which is at about his paw. So after three of those, I decided, you know, I looked, at, I'd looked at it carefully, and it was a, it was a classic. It was a perfect candidate for this, uh, for super glue. It was just open. It was kind of a slice, but it opened wide. So yeah, you know, you could pinch it closed. So it was good and clean. I made sure about that. Then it was good and dry. And then I whipped out my veterinary super glue or whatever they call it and, uh, and touched the two uh, edges together and then just dripped some of that along it, held it for a couple seconds, crossed my fingers, let go, and it stuck. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm still knocking wood 24 hours and it's still stuck. Yes. If you don't have any, ask your veterinarian. Don't use the regular stuff. Apparently, it'll really, really sting. Your dog will be very unhappy about that. <laughs> and Flick, he was a trooper about it. So, uh, good boy. couple days rest, and then we'll be back at it. Uh, how about you? Uh, well, I asked on Facebook and all the other social media how you're shooting so far this season. And, and again, you know, it, everything's being relative, but uh, Frank Joseph is... Four birds and four shots with a 28 gauge? Yes. The only way to go, says Mark Lowerens on that one. David DeSmither says, I've hit every bird in my mind. <laughs> Very low scoring first half for John Simon, hoping for a comeback. Come from behind victory, he says. Okay. Uh, David Klopp says he's doing good enough to where his dog will still hunt with him. Um, Cork Green, I hope your surgery went well. You're going to need a, yeah, be careful about coming back and introducing a shotgun to your back surgery. And then all that other stuff, which I'm still working on. Yeah, I, I am. I keep a shotgun in the office. My pointer, one of my pointers side-by-sides is in the office. And I'm practicing my gun mount uh, a dozen times a day doesn't take long and if you're like me um, nobody thinks you're crazy waving a gun around in the office it's always you know safety first and all that jazz and remember perception is reality when it comes to safety so be be mindful of your co-workers if you have any uh, Scott Condit says his shooting is great as always Jasper Brand is amazing um, Don Scher says the birds are just falling out of the sky where are you guys hunting? I want the latitude and longitude. And um, Larry Davenport, been in the quail field twice, hit everyone he's shot at. It just seems like he's shooting at something other than the quail, he says. <laughs> well, I feel your pain, everybody. Yeah, um, that's why I'm working on it. That's why I'm taking lessons and all of that. In fact, I uh, just ordered a an automatic uh, uh, trap thrower for the for the back 40 from Midway USA, of course. So uh, I'll keep you posted on that. Lots to talk about here. Uh, that's just the first half of the equation. In the second half of the podcast, one of the other topics will be advice from your fellow hunters on shooting better. In the meanwhile, we will be talking more about this respiratory problem that is plaguing hunting dogs and other dogs as well with an expert in that right after these commercial messages the first one for landtrust.com just like it sounds go on and take a look at what's available to you in terms of bird hunting places to go it's a diy option gives you and your dogs a safe quality experience it's your place and your place alone kind of like vrbo for the day some allow camping some have lodging of one sort or another it's your chance to book a spot and plan your trip from home and know that you'll have exclusive access. Learn more at landtrust.com. And if you if one of the one my advice is if you're not shooting well, consider high vis sights. Yeah, see what you've been missing. It offers all types, magnetic screw attached, plain barrel sights fit, fit most shotguns on the market. That's why they are 
original equipment on Ruger's and Smith and Wesson, Benelli, Browning, and Remington, among others. Yeah, the the muzzle to target relationship may be subtle, it may be subconscious, but it sure helps me. And if you're looking for more shooting tips beyond the ones we'll cover in the second half of the podcast, go to highvizsites.com and click on the learn tab. Dozens of shooting tips. And if you're a handgunner or a rifle guy, there's dozens more for everybody there. HighVizSites.com. Well, you know, this is something that has concerned me for a while. Maybe you two, you've seen the headlines. You're worried about your dog or all your dogs because most of you own more than one. That's why I thought it was important that you get the straight scoop from somebody who knows what they're talking about. Jane Sykes is a professor of small animal medicine at the University of California, Davis. Go Aggies. Uh, She's at the School of Veterinary Medicine, and her interest is in small animal infectious diseases. I don't care if you're hunting a big dog or a small dog. They're all small animals in Jane's book. Among other things, she founded the International Society for Companion Animal Infectious Diseases. She's been the associate editor of Journal of Veterinary Internal Medicine, authored over 100 peer-reviewed scientific publications. It goes on and on. She is... um, the person to talk to about all of this stuff. And Dr. Jane Sykes, uh, thank you for joining us here at the Upland Nation podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, join you. You and I were talking off mic about uh, your own dogs. What do you have in the household these days? Yeah, I'm a very proud Labrador Retriever owner. I have two labs. I have a black lab called Bodie and a yellow lab called Flora, and she's an older, very fluffy yellow lab, and um, they they just make my life so much better. I, I absolutely adore dogs of all kinds. I, I guess in your business, you'd better. Yep. It, it's one of the most wonderful things about being a veterinarian is that we get to play with our patients and um, every day is just a joy when you're working with animals. It's a tough job sometimes, um, but there's not too many human physicians who can give their uh, their patients a, a big sloppy wet kiss on the face. Yeah, I love it. And uh, so you, you can sympathize with all of us who are... Uh, I, you probably have a great scientific term for it. We are, we are, we are connected by the umbilical cord with our dogs. They are part of our lives in so many ways, not only because they're companions, but because we work together. If I ever write another book, that's what it's going to be about. But what is that connection that you have to your dog, or we have to our dogs when we're, you know, we're doing something important with them? Yeah, it's. You know, that's so important. And people do so many different things with their dogs, too. I think that's what I've really come to appreciate over the years. Um, You know, I've worked with some of the working dogs in this country and seen the relationship between handlers 
and working dogs and that's a very special relationship. I spent many years, part of my career working in Minnesota with um, dog owners that, you know, sat on their ice with the, the dogs, you know, all through ice fishing trips and oh, yeah. were, you know, big into hunting um, up there and people who would drive from Canada down to the Twin Cities in the middle of winter and risk their lives to get their dogs good care. And, you know, just just this incredible bond between people and their dogs that just makes me amazed every day. So you can understand why we're all a little bit upset about this, but there's not a whole bunch of good information floating around. Every day this, cha- this, this situation is changing. Uh, why don't you give us kind of uh, the top line on this, uh, I think what what most people are calling now canine respiratory syndrome. Does that sound about right? Yeah, so the proper name for the condition is canine infectious respiratory disease complex or CIRDC for short. And the common name for this condition, there's been a few of them over the years, kennel cough. Um, which has um, in some ways been phased out because not all dogs that have this syndrome, you know, are kenneled. Um, and there's also uh, infectious trachea bronchitis or ITB, which is one of the older names. But the, the accepted name now is canine infectious respiratory disease complex because it's caused by a bunch of different organisms that all lead to the same combination of clinical signs. And why don't you just outline those signs to us? Because we're we're watching. I, I talked earlier in the podcast about doctoring my own dog. He he ran into a you know something. Uh, but w- what should we be watching for uh, that might alert us to this uh, condition while we can still do something about it? Yeah. So um, you know it's variable from uh, one dog to another. But you know the the most common what we call a clinical presentation or a group of clinical signs is uh, a honking dry cough often. And some dogs will have this terminal retch when they cough. So they cough and cough and cough and then they retch like they're gagging. And sometimes it can even look like they're vomiting. Wow. And I've had some owners actually bring their dogs to me for vomiting when they've had this syndrome. Um, and they sometimes can have runny eyes and a runny nose, and that can vary from just a watery discharge from the eyes and the nose right through to that creamy white or green mucoid discharge um, from the eyes and the nose. And so most dogs that have this syndrome that otherwise feel pretty good, um, they're usually eating well, they may be a little bit less active, but for the most part they feel good, they just cough and cough and they cough all night long and that keeps owners up as well. It can be a very frustrating condition to live with while it's present. So if, if my dog isn't coughing, I can probably feel relatively confident he hasn't got this? Yeah, that okay. for the most part it causes a cough and um, sometimes just the eyes and the nose thing, um, but most dogs will cough to some extent. Well, um, good, <laughs> because he's got some of the other uh, symptoms, but I can deal with those. So, so how is it spread? Yeah, so as I said, there's a bunch of different organisms that can cause this syndrome. We're mm. now up to 
Um, we're now up to 10 different viruses and three different bacteria that are capable of initiating this syndrome. Um, and so that's just like in human medicine, you know, when you go to a daycare, for example, that are full of kids that are coughing and have snotty noses, we know that most of those kids in a daycare are infected with a bunch of different bugs. Uh-huh. And so those bugs are transmitted, you know, when kids cough and sneeze, um, same thing with dogs. Um, when they cough, sometimes they can sneeze, but they more often cough. Um, you know, they're transmitting it in the discharges that come out of their eyes and their mouth, um, and that's how it's transmitted. And it's especially likely to be spread when dogs are in close contact with one another, and especially in indoor environments. So, sure. you know, it's kind of like COVID, right? We found out that it was more likely to be transmitted when people were congregating indoors. Same thing for all the bugs that are part of this complex. Is, is that just a dumb question maybe, but is that simply because the bad stuff that gets into the air from infected dogs doesn't have anywhere to go except right there in that vicinity. That's that's exactly right. It circulates in the air and when dogs are kept closely together. And, you know, when I think when dogs are, you know, kenneled in close confinement and there's a lot of dogs together and there may be barking dogs too, that could contribute to transmission because there are these bugs in just, you know, salivary secretions that are coming from the mouth. Wow. You know, um, I'm just going to cite one example because I hadn't even thought about it, but I, I was hunting with a buddy and we each had a dog on the ground last week and uh at several times during the day um they shared a water bowl that's probably not a good idea is it yeah that can certainly lead to transmission of some of these bugs like some of the viruses don't survive very well in the environment but organisms like Bordetella bronchoseptica, which is closely related to Bordetella pertussis, which causes whooping cough in people. Yeah. Um, Bordetella bronchoseptica can actually survive quite long periods of time in the environment, including, um, you know, on food and water dishes. It can persist um, even for, you know, longer than a week or two. Wow. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. This is Dr. Jane Sykes from UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. But probably from somewhere else way before that, you can tell from the accent. <laughs> I'm not going to dwell on it. But uh, um, if, if we suspect that our dog might have something like this or that it was exposed in some way, Dr. Sykes, what are the first things we should do? Yeah, so, um, you know, usually dogs will come down with signs about a week or two after exposure. So that's what the incubation period is for most of these bugs that are involved. Um, And so, you know, typically you're going to see your dog start to cough or feel um, sick with this runny nose, maybe some sneezing as well, one to two weeks after exposure to other dogs. Um, And, um, you know, if your dog does get sick like that, First thing to know is that most of these are self-limiting and the treatment is actually just time. So it's just like colds and flu in humans, you know, it's just rest and time and minimize stress and definitely avoid contact with other dogs because you don't want your dog to then spread the, the illness to other dogs that you might normally interact with, you know, especially if you have group meetings with multiple dogs, Mm -hmm. you want to keep your dog away. Um, And if your dog, you know, 
if you are worried about your dog and your dog's, especially if it's not eating well or seems lethargic, you should call your veterinarian and let them know that your dog might have had exposure to one of these respiratory pathogens and could have an infectious respiratory disease. And your vet then will take precautions to ensure that other dogs in the hospital don't get infected. And that usually means, you know, meeting your dog outside the clinic, bringing it straight into the exam room. Um, they may wear some, you know, gloves and a gown to prevent transmission to other dogs in the hospital and if it does need hospitalization you know they may um, put in place precautions to reduce hospital transmission so it is really important that you let them know before you bring your dog in that that yeah. could be the case because it helps to protect other dogs as well and definitely if your dog has signs of not eating or you know is lethargic um, is decreased drinking or it has this sort of very soft cough and an increased respiratory rate you know if it's lying around breathing hard or has a sort of soft cough that's an emergency situation that you need to you know see your veterinarian as soon as possible and potentially take it into an emergency clinic if it's after hours um, and in that case you know you're, it's likely that your dog will be hospitalized it may need antibiotic treatment but we usually re reserve antibiotic treatment for dogs that are not eating and have a fever rather than those dogs that are eating well and just coughing it's just like People with colds, you know, we don't want to be treating everybody with antibiotics because we end up selecting for antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And that's been a real problem in recent years for bacteria like Bordetella bronchoseptica. We're seeing um, more and more um, growth of organisms that are resistant to many different drugs. It's a big concern. I want to talk more about that <clears throat> almost in the COVID uh, context uh, after the break. So we'll cover that and a, a whole bunch of other questions that I've received from other people who are concerned about their dog's health and about all the things that uh, you know this could do for them, whether it's just kind of goof, goofing up their hunting season or long term. So we'll talk about those after the break. That's Dr. Jane Sykes with the University of California at davis she's a veterinarian and she knows her stuff as you can hear i'm scott linden we'll be back with more and then that shooting advice from all of you experts in the second half right after this brought to you by truelockchokes.com you know there's a lifetime warranty and a 60 day satisfaction guarantee anything you buy from truelock chokes will come with those assurances you probably won't need either of those because they use the highest quality materials and some very innovative engineering and as i've said before if you want to shoot better one way to do it is put in quality choke tubes learn more at truelockchokes.com mid-valley clays and shooting school can help you as well once you put those true lock chokes in Head on down to Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. They're in Western Oregon, so if you're passing by, book a day, shoot some, uh, well, you name it, every game in the book, they've got it there, from Helice to Skeet and everything in between. Take a lesson with one of the hunting instructors there. They know what you're, you're talking about because they do it too. And if you're shopping for a sub-gauge gun, midvalleyclays.com is where you ought to start your shopping trip yeah no matter what santa claus did or didn't do for you maybe dave fiedler and the team at midvalleyclays.com can take care of you even after 
the tree is put away. And we're back at the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. On the other end of the line is Dr. Jane Sykes. She's a veterinarian. She works at the University of California at Davis. By the way, uh, I bet I, it would take two hands to count all the friends who have had dogs over there that you and your colleagues have worked on over the years. Keep up the good work, please. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. We have an amazing team at UC Davis. You know, we're just... We have an incredible number of specialties in our hospital. We have over 30 different specialties. All of the specialties that, you know, you hear of for people, we have yeah. those for dogs and cats as well. And then uh, across the hall or in the next building are all the people who have saved horses' lives for friends of mine as well. That's right. We have a, a really great large animal clinic and we have an exotics clinic that see all sorts of interesting zoo and um, exotic species. Yeah, I hope that they've got a good fence around that building. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's let's get serious again for a moment. We're talking about uh, give it to me one more time. What is the official term we're using again for this thing now? We're talking about canine infectious respiratory disease complex, CIRDC. And I get the complex now. I didn't realize by by now the science has decided it's not a disease. It's a whole. It's a suite of diseases. That's exactly right. And, you know, these signs of coughing, runny nose, runny eyes, sneezing, these are very nonspecific signs. And um, when I also talked about, you know, your dog maybe having pneumonia um, and getting more seriously ill, you've also got to realize that there are so many other diseases, non-infectious diseases and diseases like um, fungal diseases that can um, cause the same signs. And so that's why it's important to go see your veterinarian because it may not be just an infectious uh, respiratory disease. It may be that there's something else going on like a cancer or a fungal disease, like especially for hunting dogs, some of these fungal diseases like blastomycosis and valley fever are really important um, common diseases too that can look just like this. Uh, so in, in any case, any of those serious symptoms, you need more information than some schlub off the street bird dog owner can provide him, him or herself. We need science. We need that. And we also need a really good history because that's one yeah. of the mainstays of being a good doctor is taking a good history. And especially when it comes to this respiratory disease complex, getting a very good travel history and a history of interactions with other dogs is key to the diagnosis. Yeah, that's, you know, that's probably true. And we're probably guilty of not providing enough of that period anytime we're dragging our dogs into a veterinarian's office. Uh, Do you have any other tips for that? Uh, You know, if we're going to be better consumers of veterinary medicine, what are some things we should do? Yeah, well, so um, there's there's a lot that people can do. And I think one of the things that I've been saying in this uptick in case numbers is that I don't necessarily think you should avoid boarding your dog, avoid doing the activities that you usually do when you're mingling with other dogs. I think we just need to be 
better at doing the things that we recommend, which is to vaccinate your dog against the respiratory pathogens that we have vaccines for. We don't have vaccines for all of them, but we've got vaccines for a good number of them. So um, Bordetella, Parainfluenza, Adenovirus, Distemper, and the H3N2 influenza virus, we have vaccines for all of those guys. And, you know, when you protect your dog against some of those pathogens, it actually helps protect them against all the other ones because these organisms work by infecting the respiratory tract and damaging the lining of the airway and um, suppressing the immune response. And so that allows the other organisms to come in and infect on top of the first one. Wow. So you get these mixed infections that occur that contribute to a worsened severity of disease. And that may be one thing that's going on right now is with everybody having more dogs with the pandemic and so forth, people also going back to work, people who are, um, you know, going on vacation now as the holidays come, they're putting their dogs in boarding facilities, daycares and whatnot, and that is contributing to these mixed infections that can make the signs drag on and on. And some of those organisms can be difficult to detect. But going back to the vaccination thing, you know, you protect your dog against the ones that we do have vaccines for. It can help prevent infection with the other bugs um, because it really is like this pathogen soup. And then there are also other important infectious diseases, of course, that we have vaccines for. um, And so it's important to get those. Um, One of the other things that often is forgotten about is that dogs need at least a week after vaccines to be immune. So when they get a booster vaccine, it takes a week usually for immunity to develop. And so if you're going to board your dog or you're going to have somebody else look after it, you need to get it vaccinated at least one week before that. And good quality daycares and boarding facilities will have policies that require vaccination at least one week in advance of boarding. So if you're going to use a boarding facility, you should look for that because you want other people to have their dogs vaccinated so that your dog can be protected as well. So look for facilities that have good vaccination policies, require that at least one week um, time period ahead of boarding and uh, facilities that minimize overcrowding. And I think that has been a problem with some of the outbreaks that yeah, we've seen in the yeah. last few weeks because we have some facilities that don't have very good hygiene practices. They're stuck putting a lot of dogs into a small space. Um, and, um, you know, when they have actually shut down their facilities and cleaned up after an outbreak, the outbreak has gone away. So we know that cleaning up the environment, having these good um, practices can definitely reduce the incidence of this disease. By the way, uh, Pathogen Soup would be a great name for a heavy metal band. It it would. That's what I think. (laughs) You're so right. Uh, so we'll, uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> but you, you, I think you answered my question, uh, which was, as uh, unlike COVID, um, if we get it, if our dog gets this disease, now we know, thanks to you, it's not a disease. It could be any number of diseases, hence the word complex. So they're not going to acquire immunity from all the other types of respiratory infectious diseases, are they? That's correct. And also, you make an important point that, you know, if we do vaccinate a dog for this respiratory disease, you have to realize that we don't have vaccines for all of the organisms. So it's still possible for a dog to get this. 
um, but it tends to reduce the severity of illness um, if you have vaccinated your dog. So it doesn't protect completely, um, but it can reduce severity. And some of the organisms, even if they're the, the infecting bug, um, vaccines don't necessarily completely protect because respiratory protection is not always awesome, just as we know from COVID vaccination. Yeah. Um, but it certainly can work to reduce um, the severity of disease and help protect other dogs from, from infections as well. We, we, we do everything we can for our dogs, number one, to keep them healthy, and number two, to keep them functioning at their peak physically. Um, we feed the right foods. We give them supplements. We do things uh, uh, with I, – I use a whole bag full of stuff every day in the field to keep him running hard and being safe. Are there things that we can do as preventive measures that might – ensure a, a little bit more resistance? Well, I mean, I think um, thinking about, you know, dogs and, you know, not every dog is the same, right? So young dogs are more likely to get ill, right? Uh -huh. So young young dogs that are less than one year of age, there's been many studies now that show that they're at increased risk of more severe disease. So, you know, especially taking care of young dogs and avoiding, you know, those stressful, overcrowded boarding situations. Um, that's one thing I would recommend. Mm -hmm. I also think that you need to be thinking about introducing other dogs. So if you're getting a new dog, remember that it could take a dog that you bring in from another environment up to two weeks to show signs of illness. So ideally, you know, if you've got another dog in the household that you're working um, or, you know, is is doing something that's important, you don't want to put it in contact with a dog that's come out of another environment with mm -hmm. an unknown history. So you'd potentially want to keep them apart from one another for a couple of weeks um, just in case that other dog should break with respiratory signs. Yeah. So yeah. think about that sort of in, in advance. And then, of course, getting dogs from reputable locations. So, um, you know, choosing reputable breeders who take good care of their dogs and have good breeding practices. Um, shelter, you know, again, just if you're adopting from a shelter situation, make sure that you're thinking about the possibility of that dog maybe breaking with an illness within a couple of weeks of coming out of that yeah, environment. Yeah. Uh, my wife, uh, she's, uh, she's got, too much free time so she she digs into this stuff uh, especially on the human side yeah should we be eating anything in particular drinking anything is there any way we can bulk up a dog's immunity by putting things in their mouth well, I think the best thing is to give them a healthy diet. And yeah. so it's in, in just the main thing is, is to, you know, feed a balanced diet. Um, and that's going to be the most important thing. Um, if you're feeding a diet that's... Um, that's deficient, then you're going to potentially make those dogs at greater risk of having mm -hmm. immunosuppression um, and infection. So a healthy, balanced diet is just the main thing. There's no specific supplement that we've got any evidence yeah. or yeah. science to prove that any particular supplement is going to boost immunity. Um, you know, we do have some concerns about some of the raw food diets because from an infectious disease standpoint, oh, yeah. at least yeah. we know that they yeah. can transmit some infectious diseases uh, like salmonella and so forth. So that might not be the best diet to choose if you're trying to boost your dog's immune system. Then again, if you're forming that heavy metal band, you wouldn't mind having a few uh, <laughs> pathogens from the raw that, that would be a diet in there, too. as long as they're in the yeah. back row playing drums or bass. Um, 
How about uh, exercise and weather? We're hunting this time of year. The, the reason we're talking today is I've been snowed out of the last couple of days of hunting. Yeah. R- running a dog that may or may not, be, does, does weather and exercise affect a healthy dog, lower their immunity? And if we know they're infected, should we refrain from those? Yeah, I don't think we have any evidence at all to suggest that excessive exercise or cold temperatures necessarily put your dog at increased risk of canine infectious respiratory disease complex. We know that some of these conditions can be somewhat seasonal, like there is some connections, for example, between some some seasons and outbreaks of parvovirus illness in dogs and so forth so you know there can be a bit of seasonality but that's not it's not enough to make recommendations to stop during certain seasons or do anything different but again as you pointed out we we don't want to be hunting our our lab with his short hair or something else just because the risk is a little bit greater when they're socializing even in the field that's right that's right and yeah. you know it's possible that in like really cold temperatures that could irritate the airways oh, yeah. too, of a yeah. dog that's working hard and that that could maybe put a dog at increased risk of getting an infection well what what, what are the people in your world uh the folks who wear white coats and carry clipboards what what are the some of the hotter activities that are going on right now that we should know about that might help us with this particular problem uh, so that down the road, maybe there is a, a you know, a, a more tangible solution. Yeah. So um, you, when you're talking about hotter activities, what are you referring um, to? Is there? there any research going on right now? I know okay. there's some, some very small sample size projects here in Oregon, for example, we're, we're a hotbed for this stuff, but I, I love Oregon. well, come on up anytime, bring your labs too. I'll, once, I'll be right there. Once they're healthy. <laughs> but 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 there's got to be some research going on uh to 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 get to the bottom of this or at least c- closer to the bottom yeah well first of all let me clear one thing up um we don't tend to cl- carry clipboards so often anymore. <laughs> it's, it's it's ipads and, there and you the go. smartphones now. <laughs> and uh even the white coat is sort of fading out so the scrubs have come in and the white coats are disappearing but Um, I've seen that change over the years too Um, and then you know in terms of the research yes so there is there has been some research going on I think it's still early days yet Um, you may have maybe some of you listening to the podcast have um, read about um, some of the research that's been occurring in New Hampshire and um, in the Oregon region there's some people doing work there too Um, And so right now, there's not been anything definitive that's really new that's been identified Um, at the University of New Hampshire. You know, there's been some reports of maybe a small organism that resembles what we call a mycoplasma, that it's a bacteria that lacks cell walls. And in fact, we know that there are mycoplasmas that cause respiratory disease in dogs that are part of this complex like mycoplasma cyanos. Um, but, you know, we we still haven't proven that this organism is the cause of disease. And even for uh, a virus that we've recognized now for several years called canine pneumovirus, um, it, it took some time for us to decide that that was a true pathogen because the problem is for most of these bugs, you can find them in healthy dogs as well as in sick dogs. So just because you find a bug in a sick dog doesn't necessarily mean that it's the cause of illness. 
And we're still learning about a lot of these organisms that we haven't been able to grow in culture in the laboratory in the past. Mm. So now we're picking up all these organisms with some of these new molecular uh, tests um, that can't be cultured in the laboratory. And we're still trying to figure out what they mean. And we know actually that the dog's respiratory tract is full of bacteria normally. It, It is really a bacterial soup in there normally. So it can be really difficult to sort out what's just a normal, what we call a commensal organism that's part of the normal flora and what might be contributing to disease. And as I said, some of these organisms only contribute to disease when they're mixed up with other bugs. So it's combinations of these organisms that cause disease. So that can be tremendously difficult to sort out. Um, And there may be some people listening to the podcast, they may remember there was the discovery of this um, circovirus several years ago that was causing maybe outbreaks of diarrhea. It was again, a kind of a media frenzy um, a few years back and it ended up turning out to not be um, anything significant because it's found very commonly in healthy animals. And so we're still, at the point where we haven't made any conclusions about causation with, um, you know, this new bug. Um, but, you know, we're listening to veterinarians and that's important. Um, certainly there are veterinarians who have been practicing for many years that feel that they're seeing more disease this year. They're also seeing disease that's been dragging on for longer with dogs coughing for longer than usual instead of two weeks you know it's kind of going on for three to eight weeks and that can be really frustrating for owners to deal with you know you're having a dog my my own dogs had this and you're having a dog that coughs all night long um, can be really frustrating you just want to go to the vet and say give me the magic pill because this is really frustrating to deal with and I'm really worried about my dog Um, and in fact it's just it is just time and sometimes we'll prescribe a cough suppressant to help reduce that vicious cycle of airway irritation and more coughing you know you cough and you cough and your airways get irritated that just makes you cough all the more and sometimes that can help to interrupt that cycle um, and just make a dog feel more comfortable until it has time to get over the illness Um, but antibiotics are not the answer for dogs that are eating well um, and really we try to reserve them just for you know really sick dogs so that we can prevent you know the spread of resistant bacteria and finally the spread am i going to catch it if my dog has it yeah so we don't have any evidence that any of these bugs cause disease in people um, you know, I think there's there has been some concern about influenza viruses in dogs and the possibility for them to gain mutations that would allow them to spread to other species. And, you know, there's been influenza viruses that have spread from dogs to cats. Um, and so uh, we know that influenza sometimes can spill over into cats. Usually mm-hmm. with influenza viruses, it is just this spillover, and then it doesn't tend to spread further in the population. It just kind of goes on to one or two animals, and then it just doesn't, doesn't it just burns out after wow. that. That's pretty common for influenza. But, you know, there's been concerns that, you know, could uh, potentially a dog influenza virus recombine with a human or influenza virus or another species influenza virus and then ultimately infect people. And that hasn't happened yet, but the possibility exists. And um, so, again, one of the concerns has been importation of dogs from other countries, especially Asia, bringing in some of these viruses oh, that yeah. can yeah. potentially have the chance to mix with viruses 
viruses here and then um, maybe spread to other species. And we've seen that, of course, with SARS-CoV-2, um, with spillover to other animal species, including dogs and cats. Um, and, you know, you could maybe say that, that SARS-CoV-2 becomes part of the canine infectious respiratory disease complex. Sure. Yeah, that, uh, who'd have thunk? But there we go. Yep. You know, it's just like everything else, uh, you know, the imports. Uh, that's why there's a, what are they called? The U.S. Department of Agriculture that does the inspections on food and, and things like that when they come in from out of the country. Um, yeah. Yeah, this topic, uh, granted, is 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 uh, f- fluid at this point, and more information will be coming out on a, a daily or weekly basis, I'm sure. But this arms us, and gotta admit, uh, puts me a little bit more at ease than I was, knowing that it's it's really so far, at least, we don't think it's a unique, new, scary version of a dog version of a covid it's just the stuff that we already know about that's right it's you know it's this happens every year we see you know outbreaks in dogs and we know we also know that there's such thing as an infodemic right and even the world health organization um has defined that and has um brought up the need for differentiating between infodemics and true pandemics (laughs) it can be difficult to sort them out right because social media can create the perception of a pandemic when there's not really one present and so we do need to keep that in mind that sometimes things can kind of go crazy and it might not be that there's really a big increase um compared with previous years it's just for some reason it gets you know, but I think we still need to listen to vets who have been doing this for many years and saying, yeah, they think they're seeing more cases. I think we need to keep an eye on that and, and keep looking and keep doing research. Um, and we need support for companion animal infectious disease research. Because if you think about, you know, human medicine and the COVID pandemic and how much money got invested in that, you know, just amazing amounts of funds. Like we just have nothing in comparison for dogs and cats yet. 50% of households have dogs and dogs right now and there are more own dogs and cats in the u.s than there are humans in australia and the united kingdom combined and you know many people treat their animals like they're members of their household and so you know we need funds to do this research well there you go and you i couldn't have said it better we do we we want our dogs to stay healthy and uh functioning uh so that we can work with them in harmony if you will I won't go deeper into that because, like I said, that'll be a book someday. But in the meanwhile, uh, Dr. Jane Sykes, veterinarian from the University of California at Davis uh, School of Veterinary Medicine there. Uh, These folks don't just talk about it. They don't just uh, lecture about it. They're working on animals every day over there. And this information is so useful to all of us. Thank you so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been my pleasure. I mentioned that trap thrower, a clay target thrower, I guess would be a better term for it that I got from MidwayUSA.com. That's just one example of the broad variety of things that uh, they are carrying there. I had to restock my my survival kit for a, a magazine photo shoot I was putting together. Everything I needed was right there as well. So whether it's camping, shooting, hunting, or anything related in those worlds, Midway USA carries just about everything. Sign up for their emails 
or text messaging and get 10% off your next order. Whether it's foul weather gear, non-toxic ammo, they've got it. MidwayUSA.com And to clean that gun with the new choke tubes in it, Sage and Breaker is where you start. SageandBreaker.com Gun cleaning and care of all sorts. Sign up for their mailing list. You won't miss out on those great sales, which just took place. You'll also get notification of all the new products coming down the road, like the new gun cleaning combo scope rifle case. There will be some other gun cleaning products soon. And if you're down there in southern Arizona for Merns and Gambles, visit their new store in Sonoida. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. Well, I promised you a whole bunch of shooting advice, and don't worry, I promise you also that I will keep my advice to myself. If you watch the show, you know why. But there's some great advice from some of our fellow hunters here, and I'm just going to touch on some of the highlights because uh, it, you know, it seems based on the early results from our Upland Nation survey, please take it if you haven't yet, that that is one of your highest priorities. Okay, so here we go. Tom Ward says, tail, feathers, beak, pull. Yeah, swing through the bird. That's one way to do it. Thomas Kilishek says, lead the target. If the bird is going straight away, lead it above. Let the shot drop to it. I love that idea. I still can't believe that air, you know, that, that air resistance can slow down shot coming out of the muzzle at 1,400 feet per second, but what do I know? All right. Hugh Snyder says, uh, okay, let's see. R- Ralph Klimok says, stop aiming. The gun should just naturally come up. Sight down the barrel should just come naturally. Don't aim. Absolutely. Hugh Snyder agrees. But if you naturally allow the gun to come to your shoulder and you have different clothes on at different times of year, you really ought to practice your gun mounts a little bit more often. Absolutely. Konstantin Gulgas When you're shooting in heavy tree cover, please give me some advice. Well, the advice I've gotten from, well, even folks like Terry Petro, these professional rough grouse guides and hunters, is ignore the tree. You're not going to hurt the trees. If you do, they'll survive. Don't worry. Ignore the trees. I've always joked about it, but it's, it's true, I think. Somebody ought to invent a game like Skeet, which was invented by grouse hunters, and put a bunch of telephone poles in between the shooters and the targets. Yeah. If you do it, I want my slice. All right, Mike and Erica Carr say, one shell, put the BB on the bird. Adjust from there. Yeah. Think. It's a bit of a mind game, but it's a simple one if you think about it that way. Um, Mike and Erica also suggest Put one shell in and one shell only. Make it count. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Miles Burdett, slow down. That is exactly what I'm practicing with my shotgun right here in my office right now. 
everything moves a little slower until you get that gun up to your face. Then you pull the trigger. The moment your cheek gets stuck, pull the trigger. Slow, 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 bang. And by the way, thank you, Vandy Fiedler at Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School for that as well. Hugh Snyder says, stop and practice mounting the gun while you're out hunting. You know, not enough of us do that. Even if it's just once or twice when we pull that gun out of the truck, unloaded, of course. And then you'll have that, uh, what do they call it, um, hand-eye coordination. Lance Larson started as a rifle shooter. That'll screw you up for shooting birds. Uh, yeah, if, if you are that, like him, maybe you subconsciously try to aim. Okay, for, for Lance, at least, what worked for him was don't pre-mount the gun. Look at the bird throw the gun up and pull the trigger throw it slowly remember the lesson we're trying to learn and uh fork out the cash for a lesson from a pro <laughs> nothing like that absolutely well lots of great advice there's more on every one of my social media pages whether it's instagram x or facebook so check out all the great advice from folks who've been there and done that and now we're sharing their advice with you. Thanks, everybody, for contributing. And that bit of shooting advice on the Upland Nation podcast was brought to you by PurinaProPlansport.com. Dog food for guys like us who own dogs like that. Concentrated nutrition. That's what optimizes VO2 max for increased endurance. And don't our dogs need that? On that last Hungarian partridge hunt we did before the injury, uh, afflicted 24 and a half miles each of the days, roughly. 24 and a half. You need increased endurance for that. Starts with a high-protein formula with real meat as the first ingredient. Check out ProPlansport.com and find out what I'm talking about. And then go to PointerShotguns.com. There's nothing worse than pulling the trigger and having nothing come out of the muzzle. Yeah, that's why all pointer shotguns come with a seven-year warranty. You name it, they got it. Side-by-sides, over-and-unders, pumps, semi-automatics. And then, oh, then there's all those colors from nickel and bluing, kind of the standard stuff, to Cerakoting in green, bronze, and gray, and then case coloring. It's all there at pointershotguns.com check it out find your favorite model find a nearby retailer and then while you're there check out some of my videos and articles it's all at pointershotguns.com well i don't know who to thank most dr sykes for cluing us in on this incredible weird respiratory problem some dogs are are really being hurt by now we're a little bit forewarned so we are forearmed I appreciate everybody who asked a question, told me honestly how their shooting was going, and those who helped out. Your advice is just priceless. If you left a rating or a review, all the better. That's how we grow around here at the Upland Nation podcast, which is made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, 
Trulock Jokes, MidwayUSA.com, and LandTrust.com. Find BirdHuntingSpots.com continues to grow if you're looking for advice on places to go, how to train, train your dog better, or any of the other lessons I've learned that I put down somewhere in the blog there. I hope to see you there. Find BirdHuntingSpots.com. And until I see you again here, maybe I'll see you in the field. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast.